Okay. Go ahead and get started. Call to order. The March 9th, 2022 Park Board meeting for the city of Kirkland. Um, Heather, will you please um, begin roll call? Board member Butte. Present. Board member Cohen. Board member Cunningham. Present. Board member Hansen. Present. Board member Parikh. Present. Board member Thimson. <laughs> Vice Chair Holland. Present. Chair Judd. Present. And staff present are John Lloyd, Mary Gardaki, Jason Pylan, and myself, Heather Lance Brazil. Thank you. Um, I am seeing guests, but I think those are our invited guests. I'm not seeing any items from the audience. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we do we have, have one, one attendee. One, yeah, we do have one attendee. So, Mr. Woodies, if you would like to speak, uh, you can raise your hand if you're here just to watch. Leave your hand down. Oh, okay. So, we do have one person that would like to speak right now. I will be promoting her to you. Hi there, can you hear me? Yes. Um, I'm just here to watch your proceedings. I don't have any comments. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Welcome. There is no other no other attendees or no one else has their hand up looking to speak. So thank you. Uh, next on the agenda is approval of minutes. Um, does anyone have any uh, corrections that they would like to highlight? If not, I welcome a motion to accept the Park Board minutes from February 9th. Move to accept motion free. I move that we second. Thank you. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Thank you. Um, before we move on to business items, um, tonight is kind of a special night, and I want to do a little bit of a highlight. Um, this is our last uh, board meeting with our uh, peer, uh, Council Member Butte. Um, her term is done tonight, and we wanted to do a very special acknowledgement for the last four years, Uzma, that you have served the City of Kirkland well um, on the Park Board. Um, We're going to miss you a great deal. Um, I'm sure we will still see you around the community. Um, and yes, thank you so much for all that you've brought to our discussions and our perspectives. Um, your voice has been very invaluable. I want to second that as on the staff perspective. Uh, it's really been a pleasure to, to serve with you. I think one of the, the first new park board members that started on the board after I started working with the city. So I think you've been with, the, with us about as long as I have. So uh, you've always You've always provided very insightful comments, um, honest feedback, and, uh, and been always been engaged in a, a part of the meeting. So I really appreciate that uh, and wish you all the best. And like Amanda said, hopefully we still see you around town and in our parks and perhaps um, 
at a future grand opening or something along those lines. So. Thank you. Thank you. Very kind of you. And thank you for all your work. Um, you know, I mean, our parks, Kirkland Parks is a gem. And the only reason I didn't write that in the email was because I wasn't sure grammatically if I should say Kirkland Parks is a gem. Yeah, like, should I say Kirkland Parks are gems or, you know, but, but I tell you, it's, we all know, I think everybody knows that our Kirkland Parks are beautiful and inviting and vibrant and we've been very fortunate. Thank you so much. We'll get, we'll get our, our money's worth out of you tonight with the, uh, the last pros plan discussion with y'all. Mm -hmm. um, one other mention I would like to make before we jump into business items. This is our first park board meeting since our study session with the city council. And uh, just want to invite anyone that has comments or thoughts of what that experience was like. I think for most of us, that was um, your first experience, but invite you to utilize your park board member reports under the communication section uh, of the agenda to, uh, yeah, share that. Okay, with that said, moving on to business items, um, I'll turn the time over to Mary, um, and we will get a pros plan, executive summary goals and objectives. Okay, thanks, Amanda. Um, I hope everyone can see my screen. I'm going to give just a quick few slides in preparation for our consultant tonight uh, from Barry Dunn. Tom Deal is with us this evening, and he's going to go over the executive summary goals and objectives um, as, uh, the, the, as the goal of tonight's discussion. So just as a quick reminder, um, the PROS plan is a six-year guide. It's compliant with the State of Washington Recreation and Conservation Office guidelines. And what is important about this is it allows for grant eligibility within that office. Um, it also provides a framework for future planning efforts and acts as a roadmap. Um, and so in addition to the basic uh, components required within our CO for the PROS plan, we also did an ADA self-evaluation and a transition plan, which is presentation. And then also we did an athletic field strategic plan. So just to give you a quick backdrop uh, before we talk about what we're going to be doing in the future, I just wanted to take this opportunity to celebrate what we've done based on the 2015 plan. So from 2019 through 2021, we, uh, the Parks Department expended $19 million in capital dollars. And that was for items such as the park maintenance facility, Juanita Beach Bathhouse and Playground, Totem Lake Park, 132nd Square Park, David E. Brink Park, and then also playground renovations at Terrace Park, Highlands Park, Totlot Park, and NKCC. We also expanded some our innovative recreational programs and special events. We expanded the number of sport opportunities, outdoor programming and camp offerings. Uh, as you recall, we did a summer action plan last year to encourage outdoor participation as we continue to adapt to COVID-19 protocols. 
and you saw that uh, scene through the um, pop-up sprinkle parks, the pop-up dog parks, sea spot splash event, harvest festival, to name a few. So as I, um, as Tom is going to share with you the presentation, I, I want you to keep in mind there's going to be a little bit of a shift in approach from the 2015 plan. So we are looking to develop new and innovative ways to address growing population in, in a much more urban environment. And that means making better use of our existing assets and to build a stronger foundation with which to grow. Also from an operational standpoint, there was a comprehensive operational analysis and that focus is to maintain and sustain the current park system and to build on the success and offer opportunities for improvement again to meet the needs of this rapid growing community. Going through his presentation, um, we're, we're going to ask for your feedback at the very end. And I want you to, I want to prepare you for those kind of what, to, how to consider this information as you're receiving it um, based on these three questions. One, do you feel the goals and objectives are consistent with the priorities of our community members? Two, are the goals and objectives comprehensive? And three, should the cons consultants continue to write the pros plan based on this framework? So with that in mind, I'm going to stop sharing now. And I'd like to introduce Tom Deal from Barry Dunn. He is a principal consultant um, and has been working on this project since June of 2021. And uh, we put in a lot of work and we've come to you tonight to talk about the executive summary goals and objectives. So I'd like to turn it over to Tom. Thank you very much, Mary and Madam Chair and all of the park board members. I'm going to share my screen and uh, have a brief presentation. And then I will uh, hopefully be able to address any of your questions. We've really enjoyed working with you. Uh, and, you know, we're looking to finish the project up strongly. Are you able to see my screen? Yes. Yes. Okay. So basically we are doing a comprehensive park recreation and open space master plan. The project purpose, um, Mary, was this presentation shared in advance with them? No, okay, I just didn't wanna, you know, go through the whole thing in great detail if you've already gone through it. Um, as Mary said, it's providing a six year plan that follows the Washington State Recreation and Conservation Office guidelines. It is gonna be fully vetted by community members, the commission and uh, stakeholders. We completed uh, the community engagement that included many, many focus groups, staff meetings, stakeholders. And uh, you know, we tried to reach out with Mary and Lynn's help to all of the interested parties. And with Jeff's focus, we were looking to apply an equity lens at each step. We uh, are in the end providing a data-driven needs assessment with recommendations that include needs and desires of the underserved populations, as well as the entire community. We're looking to provide easily to read resource maps that describe service gaps in walkability, park and facility amenities and access. Uh, an analysis of recreation programs maintenance practices, finances, and organizational effectiveness. Uh, as Mary said, we've also working with our, our teammate, 
who will give a presentation after me, completed an Americans with Disability Act evaluation and transition plan that provides a phased list of mitigation projects. And then we've provided recommendations for use and expansion of outdoor athletic fields based on a demand and capacity study that we completed. These are, uh, is a graphic of our, of our study and we are in the draft recommendation stays, stage. We previously had our strategic kickoff, did all of our information gathering, our focus groups, our inventory, things like that. I think you've been made aware uh, throughout the process. We previously, Jeff provided a findings presentation and then did visioning with the staff that helped us develop what we call our key issue matrix. And from all of that, we took in it, it's where we've taken and written all of our draft recommendations in the, the main report itself. So where we're at right now is in our draft recommendation stage. And after we present this to you tonight, we're working with Mary and Lynn to get feedback on our, our report, and then we'll look to uh, make any necessary edits and turn around and give you a final report that you can look at, review, and again, if there's any changes, we'll look to make those edits as well. I think this in one way or another is kind of a very similar graphic, but it, it just shows all the steps we've gone through and where we are at now. Uh, with the help of Mary and Lynn and uh, Heather and the team, we think we had very, very robust public engagement. Um, we had focus groups where we met with 69 different people. We had stakeholder interviews and we met with 42 people. The city leadership uh, and staff SWOT analysis, 64 people. The staff helped us with some community conversations and webinars, another 127 people. The Human Service Commission, there were six people. The Kirkland Park Board, we've met with you on a number of occasions. There were seven, I think, and uh, the senior council uh, people were 10. Overall, we believe we connected with 4,667 participants. This continues to give you more of those participants. We did a random uh, invitation survey that was statistically valid and had 656 responses. We did our open link survey and it was a great response rate of 2,345. That's really strong. It meant a lot of people wanted to come out and, and let you and us know about your parks and recreation facilities. There was input from the Everest and Moss Bay neighborhoods of 121. The diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective meetings had 12 people. There, the, the city managed some dog off-leash pop-up comments and input meetings with another 206. We had an athletic fields user group. We reached out to over 50 people, but we consistently, I think we're really talking with about 24 different represent, representatives. Uh, the play at four emails, voicemails and requests, another 190. City Hall outreach event attracted 38. Uh, parks and Recreation Youth Camp story, 106. The Youth Council, we did a survey specific for them, 316. The sea spot splash input opportunity that the city managed, another 200. You catch the butterfly input, 118. 
and other input 10. Uh, I think the number is pretty accurate. and We thought it was pretty strong. It's, it's a very good number in our opinion. We did take and do a demographic study. And I believe that at the time when we pulled this information from Esri, the, the population was 92,077. And I believe we've made sure that we're using the numbers that Kirkland is, you know, is similar to what Kirkland is using. You can see there's a projection that your population will increase by over 8,000 people in the next five years. So part of our plan was to prepare for that population increase. Some of the reoccurring themes that we had throughout the project, sustainable and resilient resources. And I think as Mary mentioned, uh, some of our, our comments we think are, are meant to be straightforward and helpful and things that we're looking to help you address. They're not meant to be critical. Um, we felt that some of the staffing levels are insufficient for what you're going to need to do now and in the future. Uh, need to look at some non-traditional funding sources, additional partnerships, the annual cost increases for materials and supplies have an effect. Look at your scholarship programs and a capital campaign or a bond or some of the ways that you might be able to continue to sustain. We think that access for all community members is important and we know that's definitely uh, a theme and a, a vibe and a, and a goal of the uh, department. Um, focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. That was something that came across loud and clear to us from Lynn and Mary and the staff, uh, that you want to have affordable programs, access to programs for individuals with disabilities, enhanced communication, particularly to the Asian and Hispanic and Latina populations. We heard that from all of the different people that we were speaking with in our community engagement. A priority for connectivity and walkability. Uh, people are desiring walkable access to your parks and facilities. And the Cross Kirkland Corridor Enhancement is something that's important. Regarding programs and service delivery, um, we feel that the demand is greater than the resources that are available. You have great programs and you provide great service. And that seems to have caused people in the community to want more programs and more services. Um, you are working hard on an equitable distribution of programs, activities, and events. We think you're gonna need additional and enhanced cultural activities going forward. Um, I think you realize with what you've done, as Mary showed you, uh, what you had done in the last couple of years with your CIP, if you build it, they will come. And I think that's what's happening to you in Kirkland as you build things and you offer new programs and services, your community comes out and takes advantage of them. Uh, the two existing community centers and the one seasonal outdoor swimming pool we feel are insufficient to meet demand going forward. Regarding parks, facilities, and infrastructure, uh, a, a large demand for dog parks, the ADA transition plan, which uh, our partner Byron is going to speak about after my, after I'm done. Uh, looks like there's maybe a $5.4 million 
price tag for some barrier mitigation. We think there's some need for additional and enhanced restrooms in your parks. Uh, we've come up with a list of many specific park improvements to enhance the level of service, improvements and enhancements to the cross Kirkland corridor are warranted. With our outdoor athletic field study, we're recommending that you uh, convert selected rectangular fields to lighted synthetic turf fields to allow for more play and better playability. And uh, looking to give you recommendations for enhancements to uh, park maintenance resources. We think your staff does a great job with your resources and your park maintenance, but I think that's an area that we can still improve. Regarding the top three priorities uh, from our survey, the parks and open spaces were really important to people, trails in the parks and the city trail system, and then restrooms in the parks seemed to came up third. But you can see there are you know, other things on the list, but the, the top three were those. Some of the actions to increase participation from our study uh, and what we heard from the community members, if you were able to offer year-round restrooms, that would increase access in the parks. If you had a recreation center or indoor aquatic complex, people felt that would increase their participation, better lighting in the parks, and then better condition of the maintenance of the parks. Again, that's not meant to say that you don't do a good job or a very good job, it's just that people, you're doing a good job and they want you to do a better job. Most important needs for the improvement from what we heard from people, uh, an indoor aquatic center rated very high, new parks in the north area of Kirkland, the indoor recreation center, new parks in my neighborhood, that's not quite defined, and then more free or non-fee-based special events and activities, followed by splash pads and other water play features were the, the things that were at the top of the list. Feeling welcome in parks or recreation facilities, that was uh, something that we wanted to check on and we, we know you felt was very important. You can see overall on a scale of one to five where Five is you know, extremely welcome and one is not at all. Overall, you, what we heard was a 4.3, which is a very good score. We're looking for you know, definitely above three and something over four. And then the Asian and Hispanic populations indicated 4.1 and 4.2. So they, the, what we believe are people feel welcome in your parks, which is positive. Communication and effect effectiveness. We took a look at that by ethnic background. And you can see that there is, um, if you look, the very light blue is not effective. The green is partially effective and the darker blue is effective. You can see that the Hispanic population and the overall felt that the communication was a little bit better than the Asian population. It's not bad, but it, it's something that can be looked at to be improved. Regarding support for funding sources, we asked uh, people in the survey 
if they would support bond referendums for special projects, bond referendum for an indoor aquatic facility, bond referendum for indoor recreation center, increased user fees, the new tax body such as Metropolitan Park District, increased property tax and a new dedicated sales tax. And you can see the highest support was for a bond referendum for both special projects and a future indoor aquatic facility. There was support for a bond referendum for an indoor recreation center and potential increases in user fees. And again, I think as you look to take those type of projects far forward and you have more information to tell the story of what the actual outcome and benefit for the community will be, that um, support we think would increase. We looked at your system as a whole and our, our guys that did our grasp analysis looked at every one of your parks and facilities. We also had a site workshop, look at all of your athletic fields and then Byron with uh, BV looked at all of your facilities from an ADA lens. So we gave you a very detailed inventory and, and, and many maps. We were able to map the location and the quality of your components. And if you didn't know what GRASS, GRASS stood for, it's Geo-Referenced Amenities Standards Process. It's something that was proprietary to Greenplay and we've now brought over to Barry Dunn, something we've been doing for a long time. It's a composite value level of service. We're looking at your components. And we use GIS and, and mapping. We scored each one of your parks. And here what you can see is how some of the parks scored. And you can see Juanita Beach Park scored quite high. Um, and then you can see what parks may have scored a little bit lower. We, we uh, took them into classification such as waterfront, community and neighborhood. And we scored these and compared these to our national database that we have of all the other parks and amenities that we've looked at. We did heat maps for grass walkability and access. And you can see that uh, the purple is where people have access to the walkability and, it, and it's very good and it's within the target range. The yellow is where there's some potential room for improvement. You can see we also looked at people's access to outdoor recreation. And you can see you scored very, very well. Uh, almost the entire map is in purple. Regarding uh, recommendations and uh, timeframes, we develop recommendations for maintaining, sustaining, and improving our timeframes our short term are things that we would recommend you try to address in the next three years, the medium term in the next four to six years, and the long term in the next seven to 10 years. So now we're getting into the master plan goals and objectives. We wrote uh, several goals and each goal has an objective. And then each of the objective has action plans 
and uh, details regarding staffing, uh, the impact on staffing, the impact on capital improvements, the impact on your operational budget, and uh, a time frame. Mary, I don't know if you want me to go through and read each one of these uh, goals and objectives. How are you best to like to convey this information to okay. get feedback? As long as we're doing okay time-wise then? Yes, so our, our first goal was to expand on the provision of high quality park experiences to meet the active and passive recreation needs of the Kirkland member community members. So that was one of our larger goals. We uh, were recommending that you continue to maintain, expand and improve exist existing facilities, the components and amenities, and to use our grass scores and to look at the population growth to kind of guide you. We were looking to recommend that you repair and upgrade any of the low scoring amenities from the inventory, that you enhance user experiences, beautification, aesthetics, et cetera, in the parks wherever possible, that you explore opportunities for additional dog off-leash areas and opportunities within the Kirkland parks, that you continue to expand and improve pickleball opportunities, that you develop new components at existing parks based on the level of service analysis that we provided, that you upgrade the availability and efficiency operation of your park restrooms, that you prioritize and improve safety and security in parks and facilities, and that you maintain and enhance Kirkland's waterfront parks to connect community members with the water and provide unique recreation experiences. We heard a lot that people want to have access to the water. And again, these goals and objectives are not meant to be critical. They're just giving you recommendations where we think you can improve. A second goal was to uh, aspire to be connected, walkable and bike, bicycle friendly community. So we're recommending that you expand greenways and pathways and trail connectivity to help with access and inclusion for all, that you expand and enhance the bicycle access to parks, trails, and points of destinations for recreation and active transportation, and that you collaborate and partner with public works and community members to effectively enhance the Cross-Kirkland Corridor in alignment with your active transportation plan. A third goal was to continue to provide variety of recreation services facilities and programs that promote the health and well-being for the community members of all ages and abilities. And again, we think you do a great job with your programs and your services. We're just looking for you to reach up and step up and, and meet what the community is asking for. To maximize the use of existing program spaces and work to identify additional program spaces, staffing, and resources to create new programming opportunities, to ensure recreation opportunities are equitably distributed around the city, to develop a formal recreation program evaluation process so that after every program, people can provide you with input and it can be, each program can be evaluated, to promote active, healthy lifestyles by adding additional recreational programming, 
to explore opportunities to increase and enhance community events based on the demand, trends, and cultural opportunities, and to coordinate with other Kirkland community and human service providers to develop programs and services to meet the demand and emerging trends. A fourth goal was to maintain organizational resilience, effectiveness, and sustainable funding. Again, we looked at your organization. We think you have a great organization, but going forward with the additional population and additional demand, we think you're gonna to need to continue to focus to make sure it stays that way. Uh, there is some recommendations for some organizational restructuring to increase efficiencies with goals of adding eight to 15 full-time employees over time uh, to have succession planning so that has staff uh, within the department look to move on or potentially retire that you're, you're prepared for that and to have the most efficient organizational structure. Uh, we're looking for you to continually engage and connect with the community members to facilitate positive and collaborative community relations and transparent decision-making. We feel that you, you did that throughout this process. And I think it paid dividends in, in the feedback and the support that we got from your community. To increase and improve communication to all community members. We, we heard in the survey that while you were communicating with people in the manner they'd like, they do think it could also be improved. And we, we hear that pretty much across the board in every community. Uh, to ensure policy and planning documents are in place that follow national standards adopted by the Commission for the Accreditation of Parks and Recreation Agencies, CAPRA, to explore dedicated funding options and capital bond for expansion, to develop and enhance partnership with key partners. We do recognize that you have some great key partners, but you're gonna to need to expand upon that. To maximize volunteer opportunities in the department and to aspire to be a leader in park and recreation field following best practices and meeting standards for high functioning parks and recreation agencies. And again, that's one that we think you are working on and definitely doing and we're we're just putting it in as a recommendation that you continue to do that and you continue to position yourself to be able to do that. Goal five was to continue to prioritize access to parks and programs for all Kirkland community members. So to focus externally on diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice. Also to focus internally on diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice to continue to help ensure recreation programs and facilities are affordable for all community members, to ensure programs, facilities, communication, et cetera, comply with the Americans with Disability Act and are fully inclusive regardless of ability, and ensure appropriate policies and practices are in place to meet applicable ADA mandates. So we're gonna be recommending that you take a look at the ADA transition plan that's being developed and to address the recommendations in there. Goal six was to enhance and improve access to athletics and sport opportunities. This came from our athletic field use and demand study. As a resource, as resources are identified, 
We recommend that you expand capacity in existing fields by enhancing infrastructure, components, and amenities. Pursue conversion of selected athletic fields to synthetic turf. Uh, and I think we should be adding there and to add lights and improve permitting and scheduling of athletic fields to ensure field availability uh, to all. We worked with your staff uh, to take a look at your policies and programs and gave recommendations, and I know they were working on rewriting them. Goal seven, to protect and conserve, conserve the natural environment for future generations, to improve and enhance department sustainability initiatives, to be aligned with the city's sustainability master planning, uh, to identify ongoing funding to promote, restore, and sustain the natural, the natural environment, to align goals and initiatives, to coordinate with stormwater and surface water plans, partnerships and initiatives, and to fully support the city's urban forestry plan, ensure the health of the tree canopy. We definitely heard from community members throughout the process in the survey, the importance of, of sustainability and your natural resources. So as Mary said, these were the, the three questions that we have for you. And uh, we'd like to open it up for any comments from the, the park board members or staff. Roshan. Thank you, Amanda. Um, yeah, very, very well done. Um, truly comprehensive. I see the use of the word um, equitable and equity quite often. There's never really a definition provided for that. I was wondering how you see that and how other members of the park board might interpret those words. Yeah, I can speak for how you know Barry Dunn in, in Green Bay play has looked at that. And the way we've looked at that is with with conversations with the uh, the staff and and how they were looking at it and how everything has has changed over the last couple of years. When we look at equity, we're looking at making sure that to the best of everyone's ability, that things are fair, that things are accessible, that things are affordable, that everyone in your system has an equal opportunity as best as possible. Um, yeah, equal I opportunity is easy for me to understand. It's the, the various definitions of equity that I thought I would test the waters on to see if there's any uh, consensus opinion on what that means in actualizing the plan. So yeah, thank you for that. There's, there's another uh, uh, point that was made that um, about more, um, Cultural activity or cultural opportunities? What, what are you referring to with that terminology? Uh, special events that the different cultures have, a, have an interest in and different recreational opportunities. Um, you know, some of the things in your community uh, that have, you know, come to the forefront when we talk to some of the people in the Asian community and the Hispanic community and some of the other areas. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing an increase in some sports like uh, interest in cricket. Uh, we heard a lot of that in our athletic fields study. Uh, other, quote, non-traditional sports other than your traditional soccer and, uh, you know, 
baseball, softball, basketball, um, and then the special events that may be more themed around cultures, uh, holidays, and traditions. Okay. Um, just one comment about that. Um, you know, I know people from so many different places in Asia, okay? And the category of Asian is, it's like you're mixing tremendous number of different cultures and languages and people. So I'll just leave it at that. And yeah. um, I'm sure that with um, what we characterize as Hispanic, um, you know, the, the, fo the folks from, um, you know, whether you think of it uh, from Central America versus Mexico, they have a lot of diversity amongst themselves in, in terms of like even their food, um, how they refer to things. So um, I, I appreciate the effort to, to do it, but I'll just say that there's a lot of um, subculture that, um, you know, I'm not asking for it to be categorized that way or anything. I'm just saying that when we group large numbers of different kinds of people together in a kind of a, um, an easy to classify, we, I don't know that we really do ourselves a lot of favor with that. Okay. I think we're following what is used yeah. by groups like the U.S. Census and sure. others. Right. And, and yeah. you know. And, I understand. Yeah. yeah. But it, yeah. it is and a I'm valid just saying point. that I, I find a lot of flaw in that. I think it's much better to think about, um, you know, the rest of the survey results. Um, you know, it showed how much there is commonality, too, that what people want. Um, so, okay. So uh, I was thinking that, you know, cultural events. I was just trying to wrap my head around that, what it could mean in terms of what a, what a parks uh, program might be for something like that. You'll see that some different cultures, the way they use parks and, and the type of special events that they, they might want assistance with uh, might be different than what we've all been doing in the industry year after year. And I think we're just recommending that you are sensitive to that and you're communicating sure. with those groups mm -hmm. and, and seeing you know how you can meet their needs. Okay, great. And last thing is um, in terms of synthetic fields and lighting, um, certainly understand the, um, the inclination for that to uh, have more hours and you know kind of better usage and level of service. I'll just say that um, wherever you try and put in lighting anywhere near um, residential areas, it'll be a big problem because um, especially during parts of the year where um, it, it might already be light out late and then to have lights go on to be very late. I know I've run in, I'm not, I haven't been on the park board before, but when I was the chair of our neighborhood association, um, oh my gosh, the, the amount of opposition to, you know, dark sky preservation or the amount of opposition to lighting up the sky was, was quite, quite a lot. So I, I suppose we'll have to be careful about what we um, suggest implementing. Yeah, and one thing I, I can mention to you there, uh, a lot of the locations that we were recommending synthetic turf fields might be at some of your schools where mm -hmm. sometimes there is a little bit more of a buffer between neighborhoods. And there has been a huge increase in the improvement in lighting for fields where they really, you know, they're lighting the field and not the, the community and neighborhood like they used to. Um, and then the other thing would just be simple policies as to how late at night do you allow a field to be used? We yep. felt that right now, you know, you're a good part of the time that you're trying to use the fields, it gets dark so quick. 
you're you're lucky if you get one group on the field in the, in the afternoon. If you had lights, you could have lights until you know six, seven, eight o'clock and get a second group. Sure. So that that's the logic. But yeah, I think your your point is definitely valid. You know, the other thing is about the population growth. Um, I think that it's going to be underestimated given the track we're on. And I also think that um, the number of people who are going to be coming to work in Kirkland um, is going to lead to a much more intense usage of our parks. And uh, there's no good way to capture that number that I know of. Because, you know, usually we go by household and business and whatever. But um, during peak season, I'll call it, uh, you know, April to September, there's, there, it's, it's already big in the most popular parks, no doubt about it. But, but thank you yep. for your work. I really appreciate everything that you've done and uh, appreciate your answers. So thank, thank you, you Matt, for much. allowing me to raise all those. Oh, you know what? There's one thing at the Kirkland City Council meeting that reviewed this. Uh, I think it was section 1.5. Councilmember Curtis particularly objected to calling out pickleball. That it should be, um, you know, not, not called out by itself. I would just leave you with that as well. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Mike? I had two, um, two comments. Um, well, one question then, then um, reviewing the, the goals and objectives um, table that you just presented, there's seven different goals. Are these in any kind of special priority or sequence or is it just random? What's, is there anything with the level of importance in the sequence they were, they were presented? No, it, it's not that goal one was more important than goal seven. Uh, we can go back and you know, take a look at that if, if you want us to tell you which one of the, the seven goals might be more important. But basically, as we went through the project, we, we have this document we call our key issue matrix. And Right from the beginning, as we started hearing different issues, we we put them on that. And you know, one of the first things that we started listing was goal one, and then you know, goal two, and and so forth. And we just started adding things to those. And then when we wrote the report, they went in that order. But it, okay. within each goal, when you see the actual action table, you know, it, it will tell you whether it's a, a long term, a short term, or a, a medium term. Okay, so that's what I was, that's, that was my next logical step was uh, when we get to the recommendations or the action plan, where those action plans uh, and recommendations fall into, the, into these seven different um, goals. And you, you've just clarified that for each of these seven categories, these seven goals would be um, recommendations that would be high, medium, or low type things. Yes, right. we call them action items. So, for instance, you know, um, it, there'll be an action that we're recommending. And if there is a, uh, a yeah. capital cost that we can estimate, we include that. If there's a, uh, an impact on your staff, we include that, uh, you know, the operational. And then we include a time frame. Well, I, I am very much like everybody else looking forward to the seeing the action plan. The recommendations part. That's been, and I know that's coming around the corner. So wonderful. I th I thought your your work was really stellar. Really a top top notch job. Um, one other question I had was when I was reviewing the um, 
the survey that was done about what's important to the citizens of Kirkland. Um, the citizens uh, said, you know, artificial turf is not that important to us. It was pretty, pretty, it was low, fairly low scored on, on that. However, looking at your goals and, and um, there it was called out quite highly, it appeared that artificial turf is um, something that we should strive to really move forward with in addition to lights as, as uh, uh, Rashawn just mentioned also. Yep, and so I, that was just a, that was just an observation when I was reading the report. A little bit of hmm, people said not too important, but the consultant said it is very important. Yeah, and I can address that just quickly. The people that said it is not important aren't using the fields, and gotcha. they don't see the importance of it. Where the the actual field users, they were really struggling to get enough time on the fields, and okay. has former operators of these facilities and so forth. Uh, by making a grass field synthetic turf, you can get much more use out of it. And, and, that, and that's the logic. I mean, if you had all the property in the world, I'd just be recommended more and more grass fields and, you know, but you don't have all the property in the world. So we, you know, we looked at everything. Thank you, very good, I appreciate it. Thank you for your comments. And the, the credit for all of this really would be going to Jeff, who has been doing all of the work and presentations up to this point, as well as Lynn and Mary and all of their staff, they were very involved and also the community. We really did make sure the community was involved and we think we really have a, a handle or you know a, a feel for what the community wanted. Thank you, I, I, I agree entirely. Any other comments or questions from the park board? Uh, Mike, I see your hand. I want to make sure everyone uh, gets a first round before we start on the second round. So pause for you one moment. Um, I The feedback I have, uh, just simply questions on the, the screen, yes, yes, and yes. I do feel like the objectives are consistent with the priorities of the community members that I have been in uh, communication with. Um, I think that the objectives and goals are comprehensive. I think it's very clear. Um, this is a product of, of thousands of combined hours, um, uh, both engaging in the community and um, very important stakeholders. Um, and I do feel that um, it is uh, well for the cons consultants to continue to write the pros plan based on uh, the framework that was presented this evening. With that, Mike, you are up again. Um, and, and so, so this is just a very generic kind of a kind of a question with this um, the analysis and the the different people groups of people that were that were queried and surveyed to come up with our plan is so impressive i was uh, very very impressed however my question really is uh, with the population of kirkland 92000 change 
And I think from your, your report showed that we had input from 3,700 3, people, ballpark-ish. Um, so that's probably less than 3% or 3% of the population actually took the time to respond in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I was just wondering, generally speaking, is that pretty good compared to all the other work you've done across the nation? Is that, is, is, did, has Kirkland stepped up and done a pretty good job responding to your surveys and, and adding, adding, um, adding their thoughts on what they, what, they, what they need and what they want? Yes, it, we actually talked to 4,667 people, and it, that was a lot due to, you know, Lynn and Mary and the staff's help. But yeah, definitely. Uh, a couple of things we learned when we're doing this. One, we put our own eyes on the site, on your, your parks. David and, and Kalen went through all of your parks. The, our group from uh, Site Workshop did. And then again, Byron and his team. And also uh, Jeff has been there. I unfortunately had not been able to come because of what was happening in, in COVID at the time. Um, but our recommendations are a combination of what we see and what your community recommends. What we heard from your community is a lot of people are pretty satisfied so they don't come out and complain or say anything. And Correct. so yeah. we did not feel that there was a shortage of community input. We would have you know, worked harder to get more of it. But I, I would say that you did a better than normal, a better than average job, right. definitely did a, a much better than average job reaching out to everyone. And then I think your community did a better than average job responding. You know, our uh, turnout for the athletic field study was a little bit lower than we would have liked, but it sure wasn't because of the, the effort of the staff, you know, identifying people, reaching out to people and all of that. Wonderful. Thank you. I, it's, that is reassuring, um, and, but not surprising. So um, thank you. Thank you. One more chance for anyone else with questions or comments. I do have, oh, Tessa, go ahead. I was just gonna say that I agree with Amanda on um, yes, yes, and yes to those three um, questions there. Everybody I've talked to in the community, um, it, sound, it looks like everything that was, I've discussed with people was hit nail on the head. So great job. Anyone else? I do have two questions, um, one probably for staff and one um, for uh, maybe, maybe for you, Tom. Um, when I was reading through the draft um, and it had mentioned um, the, the GRASP national data set, um, and it said that Kirkland had two parks that scored in the top 10% of all parks. I'm just curious, um, I'm, I would like to know what those two parks are. Do you happen to have that information? I don't recall that off the top of my head. It, it, it's something I can definitely get back to you, but I don't recall which two parks. I, I'm sure if we went back and looked at uh, you know, the findings presentation or one of the other documents that we did call it out. Okay, thank you. I was, I was just curious. Yep. Amanda, Amanda, one was Juanita Beach, and I think the other one might have been um, Peter Kirk because of just the breadth of amenities and all the stuff that was there. So, sorry. For, sorry. No. 
great deal. Um, the other question I had, and this is probably more for park staff, um, throughout the, the draft, the cross Kirkham corridor was mentioned a few times. And I was just curious, has that kind of transitioned from the umbrella of public parks to the parks department, or is that still considered a public works uh, entity? Still a, a public works. Uh, it's 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 become it's coming to the forefront to discuss it more as a linear park. Okay, thank you, uh, Roshan. Thank you. Um, maybe this is for the staff. Um, when will we get to the point of identifying? Um, particular areas that might be available to acquire for new park space or how will that be related to <clears throat> this particular study? Especially in areas with, that are, you know, about to experience, uh, I would call exponential population growth, residential and business. Are you asking about uh, potential land acquisition? Yeah, like, uh, you know, we're, we're showing that we're going to have this increase and um, the effect that will have on our parks and um, the opportunity to acquire um, space is somewhat limited. Right. So I'm just wondering, when do we marry this up to some discussion on what's available before it's too late? Right. There is a, um, a whole section in the draft on loveless service. And part of that is evaluating... Um, gap areas in our system and potential acquisitions in those areas. Oh, okay, I must have, I'm sorry, is that already on the plan? It, it, in some it, detail? It's, it's in our 2015 plan and then it's going to be updated in the draft. Okay, so it's not available in this iteration. In this, correct. Okay. Well, there was quite a bit of discussion about, um, you know, what happens with the transfer station and if it moves and would there be land available there and you know a bunch of other stuff and I was just wondering all the all the chatter about where things could go and the so-called uh, innovation and create creativity measures mm -hmm. it'd be you know it'd be good to try and match those up to some of these uh, particular study findings I think thank you okay. One, la in one last opportunity, anyone? Okay, I think that's it for park board questions and comments on this uh, agenda item. Tom or Mary, was there anything else you would like to add? I would um, just like to say thank you. And you know, we look forward to the edits from the staff and to continue to work forward. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom, for joining us tonight. And uh, yeah, we we're keep on trucking. Okay, that is the end of that um, business item. I think this is a good uh, place for us to have a quick five minute break. Um, so we'll return at 8.04. Begin again. Thank you all. 
Um, our next business item is uh, the draft ADA transition plan. So I'll turn that time over to Mary to get us started. Okay, just a couple of warm up slides uh, before Brian uh, begins his presentation. Brian Scott is our consultant with Bureau Veritas. Um, he is a subconsultant actually to Barry Dunn. And um, he is the uh, consultant who did our ADA self-evaluation and transition plan. So just as a quick backdrop, um, the, the purpose of the ADA transition plan is to assess compliance with all Title II provisions of the Americans with Disabilities Act. 52 parks and facilities were audited. So, um, and the, the whole point of this is to make sure and ensure that people with disabilities should be able to arrive on the site, approach the facility and its amenities, and enter as freely as everyone else. And so these uh, reports of all these parks informs the transition plan, and that identifies and prioritizes current barriers, provides a schedule for barrier removal, and establishes procedures for addressing future accessibility issues. So again, um, in context, this is a focus on park and facility access, and it focuses specifically on the Title II mandates in the ADA. We, um, and this is the founding information that we should be looking at as we build on trying to do even more with universal design. But just to be clear, we're not looking at universal design and those types of things. Again, just the Title II provisions. So with that, um, I want to turn it over to Brian Scott with Bureau Veritas to walk you through the transition plan. Um, and similar to the previous presentation, I do have some questions for you to have in your mind. Um, you can ignore the first one because we've already gotten direction from council for the 30-day public comment period, which is beginning tomorrow. Um, but what I'd like to see is we could provide input on and specific comments on the transition plan itself and the priorities as he presents them to you. And then encourage our local advocacy groups and partners to comment during the public comment period uh, uh, during March, beginning um, March 10th. So with that, I would like to turn it over to Brian and have his presentation on the transition plan. Uh, thank you. Let me grab the right screen here. Okay. When the slides look similar, that doesn't always work. All right, so you should be seeing my screen now. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. So, um, as Mary said, my name is Brian Scott. I work with Bureau Veritas. Uh, we were acquired by, we used to be EMG Corporation. We've done a lot of work on the West Coast and all over the country. Um, we have a core team of now 22 ADA assessors. So that's all we work on is with Americans with Disability Act. Uh, I'm one of the lead project managers within that group. Uh, I'm also subject matter expert and um, been out to California twice in the last six months working as an expert witness on defense side of uh, the ADA. So um, that's the background history. Um, 
we're here, this is the agenda to talk to you today. We're gonna to talk about the accessibility regulations and why that applies and how that applies to Kirkland and specifically the parks and community, community services. Uh, we'll discuss the process for a self-evaluation and transition plan, uh, and then how we came up with the planning process. Um, so those are the, the agenda items. Um, I would like to say that, uh, you know, I, I can safely say 90% of the photos that you see in here came from your parks. Um, and so that is a, uh, you've got a beautiful park system. So compliments to you. The one thing I wanna point out to you though, that this is a maintenance item. Uh, somebody left a scooter in the middle of a sidewalk, which then um, inhibits a uh, person in a wheelchair for coming down the sidewalk. So it's always an ongoing maintenance to make sure that ADA is in compliance. So a little bit of background on the Americans Disability Act. Uh, this is per the Department of Justice, who is the enforcement arm for Congress. Uh, the ADA protects a qualified individual with disabilities from discrimination on the basis of uh, on the basis of disability services programs or activities provided by the state and local government entities. The, what a disability is, is a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. Um, so a disability can be permanent or a disability can be temporary. Um, a high school athlete twists his knee and is on crutches for six months to a year while he's rehabbing the knee or she's rehabbing the knee. Uh, that is a disability while that knee is out and services could be offered to them. A little bit of history. Uh, the ADA got its roots from the Vietnam War. Uh, it actually started with the Korean War when the veterans came back home. Um, they were finding life difficult because of the success of the mass units. Mass units were able to get them to allow more veterans to live, but then they came home with disability injuries. Um, several reiterations went through on the federal government side, and some states were progressive and did it on the state level. What happened in 1990 was uh, a bipartisan bill, uh, substantially voted in, was the Americans with Disability Act. The significance to that is it's the first civil rights legislation that put requirements on the general public as well as the state and local government. Uh, within a year, they took the federal regs and came up with the 1991 Standards for Accessible Design or the Accessible Guidelines, or ADAG. Um, from 1991 through mid-2000s, Congress or the courts got involved and the courts narrowly defined what a disability was. Congress didn't like that, came back with bipartisan election, uh, um, legislation, signed in, and they did an amendment to the act in 2004. With that, then the US Access Board, which is made up of six different agencies in the government and then private uh, architects and private individuals, rewrote the uh, the guidelines, this is called the 2010 Standards for Accessible Guidelines. So that's what we follow on most of this. Uh, the, the significance was, is in the 1991 version, it was left a little bit open. And then they spent four years tightening it back down. Uh, 
a, a significant change was is that three meter platform dives are eliminated from having to be accessible. You don't have to put a ramp up to a three meter dive board where you did under the 1991 standards. So there's some common sense that was put back in. Uh, and we started enforcing those rules in, rules in 2012. There are five titles to the ADA. Uh, Title one is, for better lack of better term, is your HR rules. It deals with all your uh, uh, hiring practices and what you have to do in reasonable accommodation and readily achievable barrier requests. That's all buried in. The construction phases of that is in titles two and three. Uh, title two deals with public entities or governments, and title three deals with non uh, governmental agencies. Um, the requirements within the standards are basically the same. It's the approach that goes to the requirements. Uh, the public side has a little bit more lenience and a longer time period where the government side um, basically has a shorter time period. And if you read the actual federal registry, governments had to be 100% compliant by 1994. And we know that that didn't happen. Title V deals with communication, and then there is some miscellaneous stuff. Um, State of Washington has got some of their own accessibility codes. Uh, they, for the majority of the way, run compliant with uh, the federal rules, but where, they, where the state has their own rules, they can be stricter, but they cannot make the accessibility less. Um, and when we did the assessment, we took into the things that uh, Washington required. Some of it was striping at the accessible parking spaces, um, minor stuff like that, but it is a significant. There, these are the key areas that we're looking at when we're doing an accessibility, uh, you know, drive in, drop off, parking lots, uh, routes from the public right of ways. Uh, those are all uh, requirements. Uh, accessible routes in and throughout your park. Uh, the significance is if you've got a set of stairs, you need to have a ramp in the same general area to get around those set of stairs. You can't make them go back out the park entrance on the south side and go all the way around to the north side and then come back in to get to where somebody can take three steps. Uh, we're looking at the amenities within the park uh, and what you have offered. Um, communications, um, Kirkland handles that through their, their city websites um, and there is a, a requirement for TTY, which is the uh, voice to text telephone messaging system. Uh, the Department of Justice ruled the other day that you can't do, um, you can't rely on texting through cell phones because not everybody has a cell phone that can text. Um, we're looking at restrooms for accessibility and the number of restrooms that you have to have within the park system. Uh, where you had temporary restrooms set up or porta potties, we looked at those for the accessibility issues. And then the recreation, uh, that includes playgrounds, um, elevated playgrounds have to have certain rules versus what's on the ground. Uh, so we looked at the, those complying parts, we're looking at the material that's underneath the playground. Um, and then um, we're also looking at your recreation facilities, boat launches, uh, basketball carts within the parks. Um, we looked at trailheads, but didn't really go down into the trails because they are Trails, ironically, come under a different set of standards for monitoring them. Um, and 
looking at the rec facilities and everything within that. Program access is a um, requirement for Title II entities. Um, there is a program access test. Um, so we're looking at your programs from two standpoints. We're looking for unique programs and where they're offered at, as well as a rec recurring facilities and programs. Uh, the basketball court's the one that I always use as a reference on. Um, you can have a wheelchair basketball league and you can bring all those basketball players to one, one set of courts that uh, they can play their basketball tournaments or their basketball games or their league competition. So that's a unique program that you're offering as a wheelchair basketball program. But you also have to be reoccurring that if a person wants to go and warm up or play one-on-one -on -one at their local park that has a basketball court, you have to make that court accessible too. So uh, it's a two-step test and um, we can move priorities around if you've got one facility, but you eventually have to address to get everything accessible. Physical access, this is just a, a laundry list of items uh, we can share with you, but uh, it's not an all-inclusive list, but it's what we're looking for on a regular basis. Um, Washington follows most of the way, but there's some differences with curb ramps and uh, truncated domes or the, the yellow dots that you see at the bottom, uh, detectable warnings. Um, but it also provides for some better agronomics. Um, but as a general rule, there's a, I think we've got about two dozen items that we looked on in, in the state of Washington that's different from the, the federal regs. Self-evaluation and transition plans. So what is a transition plan? A, a transition plan is a living document that uh, guides you through the process of removing barriers. Um, it is a requirement for Title II entities to have a working transition plan on file at all times. And um, the only exemption is if you can prove that you're 100% compliant. And I haven't seen anybody do that yet. Uh, it tells you why you have these barriers and how you're moving it through. And then the process at the end of the day is how do you complete the barriers um, to for the barrier removal. The plan, um, we do the evaluation first. Uh, we're looking at policies and procedures, uh, working with staff on that. Uh, we have done an initial transition plan uh, that has um, been provided by staff. We've looked at it. Uh, we were gonna present it to city council, but uh, they ran long on their meeting the other night. Uh, we, as Mary alluded to just a little bit ago, it, it is going live to the public tomorrow. Uh, we are seeking public input. Um, that input period runs for 30 days, uh, can run longer, but that's the minimum re uh, requirement from the Department of Justice. The, Mary was asking you to get uh, your local advocacy groups involved. That is a critical part to this. We want them to feel like their voice has been heard. Uh, it's getting that public input makes it a, a better document and a better document in case of litigation because you did seek the input. 
Bureau of Veritas came up with an initial list of priorities. Um, we met with staff on Tuesday, I believe this week. Uh, we're adjusting a few of those. We're not going to do it until the end. We're gonna use the document that we got initially, but it was a, some conversations on some stuff that needed to move up and move down. Um, we're looking at a budget phasing. Uh, the number that's in the slide in the deck uh, after talking with staff is strictly a hard cost. We're going to implement some soft costs. So this number will go up a little bit more. And the last thing to remember is this is a living transition plan. Uh, the transition plan, while we give it to you as a document on sometime in April, the plan needs to be looked at at least once a year and hard looked at every three years to make sure that your priorities are, are, are correct. Um, the town that I live in in North Carolina um, had to modify their transition plan last year because within a quarter mile of me, they put in almost 800 senior citizen uh, living units in a retirement village. That changed the need for mobility issues in my part of town. It became a higher priority. So you should be looking at this on a regular basis. Uh, the key accessibilities, as we've discussed already, it's, it's complex, but it's manageable. You're seeking public input uh, with a goal to uh, figure out how you're going to remove these plans and then the strategy in that. Um, at the end of the day. So as, as alluded to earlier, it needs to be updated. We are in it. We will be starting tomorrow, the 30 day public input. Um, I also encourage everybody on the park board to take a look at it and uh, let their feelings be known. Um, as I told staff earlier this week, Usually the final list goes to three or four iterations before we, uh, we make it final. But the big numbers overall from the self-evaluation, we looked at 52 parks. Uh, we identified almost 1,700 items that are barriers to accessibility at a cost of $5.4 million. Um, was two big takeaways, accessible routes in and within your parks. Uh, was a critical park and then parking was the other issue. Uh, there were other 59 other types of barriers dealing with restrooms, playground equipment, playground path of travel. Um, so those were um, items that just all added up to about $2.2 million. When we looked at the transition plan, our first goal was to, to create a set of phases with approximately a million dollars worth of work in each phase. Um, we took a whole park approach. So we were taking one park offline at a time to, to do the barrier removal. Uh, the number, all of them came under a million except for phase two. Uh, and we're gonna be adjusting that again based off of input from everybody. Key point to remember here is a phase does not necessarily mean a year. It's you're, you're identifying a bucket of time on what we are going to attack and, and travel. A lot of jurisdictions do do it as a year goal, uh, but it is not required to do it that way. At the end of the day, when we 
the big points that kicked out to us is that there needs to be a, some um, better training of staff and volunteers that work in your parks uh, to prevent further uh, barrier development. Um, keeping trash cans not located in the maneuvering clearance of the door. So on a pool side of a door, you have to have 18 inches of clear space so that they can have room to move their wheelchair around. Maintenance wants to throw the trash can in that 18 inch clear space because they don't want to see paper towels on the ground. So that's, you know, working that out. Uh, maintenance also needs to keep up with uh, the grounds. Uh, most playgrounds, and this is one of your playgrounds, I'll have to compliment you on it, it's a level surface. Uh, usually we find pit holes dug at the bottom of the slides or where they're doing the transfer points. But uh, what I see parks at districts doing is that they'll come in and level this out once a year. Really, they need to be out there at least once a week, if not two to three times a week, uh, keeping the material level and compacted. Looking ahead, what we're working on is to have a finalized living transition plan. Um, when we present the final version to staff, we will present it as a PDF form so that it's um, where we're at today. It's a document that will be memorialized, but at the same time, we will give staff an open Excel sheet uh, that they can make moves and adjustments and mark things off as they get done with the work. Um, we're dealing, I alluded to earlier that I've been out to Cal, uh, West Coast, California was one location, a city that was in the middle of their transition plan got sued and we were able to show that the city had been doing the work and that the area that they were getting sued on would be addressed starting at the July 1 budget year. So this is, can also be a legal defense document for the jurisdiction. Um, we're going to look at any budgetary constraints. Uh, one of the things that Tom alluded to was a uh, possible bond solution. Uh, that is um, you know, a consideration to do. Uh, we're gonna also look at timing. Uh, and that's part of the recommendations too is, is, and the reason that you don't wanna do all the parks at one time is you wanna keep your park systems open. So the Department of Justice allows some uh, leeway to allow you to, uh, extra time so that you don't have to complete shut down your your entire system um, the example that i use all the time was the city of chicago requested extra time to replace their curb ramps uh, in the city close to six thousand curb ramps they couldn't do it in three years and then you throw into chicago the limited work season due to cold weather and snow and ice they ended up getting a 20-year transition plan out of uh, out of the department of justice that was the first step. Uh, we don't have to go begging to the Department of Justice now. We just put in a reasonable time and uh, we know usually what they're, what they're looking for in a guideline uh, based on the dollar amounts and the amount of work that needs to be done. Staff uh, will need to update the transition plan on a periodic basis. We recommend that they put that as a, a note in their, their system that that would be done on a regular basis. These are contact sources that are available to you. Uh, you guys are in region nine with the ADA centers. Um, I believe that's out of Portland. And um, 
but they are uh, south of Oakland, California. I'm sorry, I got the wrong one. Uh, but these are resources that you can go to besides us. So um, it's a um, uh, there's there's access out there. U.S. Access Board will answer questions either typed or telephone. Uh, the U.S. Access Board is the one that writes the, the standards that we follow, and they've got a good database of questions that have been asked in the past and how how you answer them. Uh, as much as I've been into this, I will still call them probably once a month to get their opinion on what's going on. The other solution is the Department of Justice at ADA.gov. You can go on their website in the lower right-hand corner. There's a telephone number to call their technical support, or you can email them as well. They don't ask who you are or where you're at. The only problem with the uh, Department of Justice is they will not put anything in writing but you can get an opinion on uh, how you want to approach things. Um, the Department of Justice at the end of the day is wanting to look to see that you've got a plan in place, that you're actively working the plan, and that, they, uh, that, you're, that you're serious about this. Uh, Congress has given the Department of Justice the ability to sue, or not, sorry, not sue is the wrong word, to apply a civil penalty of $75,000 per item that they find. So that number can add up real quick. I've never seen them go that far, but they have that ability. And with that, um, is there any questions? Roshan? Thank you, Amanda. Um, I was wondering, uh, in the top three that you listed on a previous slide, it had to do with barriers, um, parking spots yeah and accessible routes i didn't see bathrooms on there anywhere and i was just wondering given that one of the top um desires of the parkland public is to have more year-round year bathroom facility and even where we have bathroom facilities and parks when they're closed for part of the year during winter i think you know we've got um porta potties there um are we out of compliance when we just have a porta potty? So two things, that is a good point. Uh, and that's probably a misnomer and a little bit because we took this based off a of dollar value. Um, bathrooms, when I look at a bathroom, I'm looking at 40 unique items in the bathroom. So uh, <laughs> wow. the bathroom probably got chopped up and I didn't come back and group it back together. So uh -huh. Uh, you know, if a toilet paper dispenser's in the wrong place, well, it costs $75 to have somebody move I that toilet paper and put it so in place. It's, so it's so, in here. It's just not uh, uh, aggregated in a way that says bathrooms. Right. Okay, got it. Thank you. Right. And then um, is it materially more? Um, well, I guess people have different definitions of material, but I'll just use that word for for, for argument's sake. Is it is it materially more to have a ADA? Uh, compliant bathroom than one that isn't? Is it just a matter of some rails and a, and a specific type of um, toilet or? So the, the quite, I'll, I'll come back to your porta potty rest question here in a second. The restrooms, if you're starting from new construction, you maybe have 75 to $100 in additional material. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the grab bars that you got to have. The toilets are pretty well standard stock anymore. 
it's a matter of the height of them hanging the, the sink on the, at the wrong right location. Um, I'll say 250 to $300 more because you got to put bags on the bottom of the pipes to protect from burns on the pipes. Um, so it's not that much more. The, the thing that you got to realize too is, is that the usability of that goes up. Um, I know that I've heard from several parents, I'm not a parent myself, that they like the accessible stall to when they're trying to teach a child how to use the bathroom. They've got more room in there than a regular stall. So if they're visiting the park, it adds uh, extra layers in there that you don't normally have. But materially, yeah, it, it costs a little bit more because you got a little bit bigger uh, wall enclosure. You got to add the grab bars to the wall. You can use the same toilet paper holder as you're using everywhere else. Uh, and the contractor has to be a little bit more conscious on his placement of uh, fixtures because the toilet or the water closet, the center line has to be between 16 and 18 inches. He can't just put it in anywhere that he wants to. So that's that's the basics. Behind that. Sure. It's, it sounds like it's mostly a design issue that it's not really a, uh, a really material cost item to to make it so that everyone can have a right. place you know, to take care of themselves. So that, that, that's, that sounds like a good thing. I was surprised about the parking spaces, a million for parking spaces. So most of our parking spaces that we found were not level. So you the entire parking space with the access aisle has to be no greater than one in 48 or 2% slope on it. And we're aggregating that cost for the parking space to be, um, taking out and having to replace the entire parking space. Because usually if it's bad, you got, you got to mill and grind it all out or you got to cut it out and put concrete in. So, um, and then there was places that we didn't find the adequate, adequate number of parking spaces for accessibility. Okay. Um, a, a question for the other consultant or the staff. Um, is there any um, sort of data that we have about how many people with like what kind of disability are we thinking about mostly is it wheelchair or blindness or is there a central kind of like you know which which type of disability is most frequent and how do we make sure that we apply the dollars in a way that you know helps the most people let's say not that the other people won't get theirs but if you have to prioritize that would might be helpful to know so the Pull part. So you're looking at a half a dozen different types of mobility issues or disabilities. Um, the wheelchair mobility is probably your highest, and it would be also with power chairs. Mm -hmm. uh, the but most of the people that are on walkers or they've had knee or ankle surgery and you're using the three wheels. Uh, trolley to, to skate around on, uh, having that smooth level surface that you're applying for a wheelchair mm -hmm. is advantageous to them. Um, parents pushing newborns and strollers take advantage of that too. The mm -hmm. disadvantage is the bikers can get in and out a little bit easier. They don't have to jump a curb. But um, the, the 
but you're you're and for parking somebody with a visual impairment is not going to be using the parking so you got to play that all into to every every piece of it mm -hmm. uh, but they the DOJ does not prioritize one of these types of barriers over the other mm -hmm. the priority the prioritization that you see is first your accessible route from parking or public street into the park the second priority is movement with, through the facilities. The third priority is your restrooms. And then your fourth priority is basically everything else in there. And then we pull a fifth priority, which is employee only areas. We pull them to the bottom of the list, mm -hmm. but they'll have to be addressed. Yeah, I'll just leave with one last thing. I, you know, with the, the scooter business, you know, the, the Uber for scooters where you can just leave them wherever. Um, we haven't had, a, at least to my knowledge. We haven't had a big problem with that in Kirkland, but other places I go, um, especially in Seattle, it's really a nightmare. I mean, they're just strewn about and some are in the rights away of traffic even. You got to pull them out. And, um, but like around Green Lake, yeah, it's, they have many, many problems in that, that park, but I would say uh, blockages, accessible routes. Yeah, it's just a big problem. I, I wouldn't want to see that happen here. Let's put it that way. In Charlotte, where I'm out of, it's a problem too. And Rashawn, I, I skipped over your one question: the porta potties or the yeah, portable restrooms. Yeah. Uh, they make a wheelchair accessible porta potty. The problem with those is, is that they usually set them on the ground, and you got a three-inch lip to get up into them. Mm -hmm. So if you're using them, you need to strategically place them or build a lever up, or you put them in a sunken hole so that that's that's level to get into them. Because a three-inch upgrade for somebody in a wheelchair uh, that's on a two-to-one slope, it's nearly impossible for them to push themselves into the, the Sure, it's too much weight for the angle. Right. Yep. I often thought about that even at the dock at Waverly. There's a little kind of lip that comes up at the end. And I, you know, I, I, I saw um, you know, it was a child who was using some kind of device to move and until the parent came along, they they weren't able to uh, to get up there. Yeah, so that's you know we called out docks. Uh, there's several issues with docks and the, the requirements with them too. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's very informative. Thank you so much. Other questions, comments, input from Park Board. Tessa. Um, my question is, so are these barriers currently like, um, non-compliant? So if we call out a barrier, it is non-compliant with the 2010 standards for accessible design. Um, the thing that you have to remember, you're in Washington, so it's not really in your building code. So, um, I know there was a question on, um, it was a Toby Lake Park, uh, the uh, Lake Park that you just completed to work on, and we found like 30 barriers within that. Um, it's contractors not paying close to detail to the, the construction side of it uh, was most of what we found there. But yeah, if we've called it out, it is not, it does not meet the accessibility requirements. So we didn't call out stuff that was compliant. I have another question too. Um, what kind of 
things are you looking for for the next month as far as during the comment period? I mean, I feel like if we push this out to community groups, I don't think a lot of people are know that much about ADA compliance. So it's kind of hard for, I don't know, the general public to comment on, on this kind of plan, so, I guess. So what we see usually within the, the public comment period is not as much, uh, you know, so we'll get comments that people say that they can't use a park because of X, Y, or Z, or um, that they want, you know, they want something else added to a park. But what we're looking at more from the comment period is, do we have the right parks at the front of the list? Do we, are we, are we, are we looking at the attack plan and the correct methodology? And you guys have a, an additional twist to this uh, from what Barry and Dunn's doing, uh, Barry Dunn's doing. We don't want to go in and spend $300,000 on a park that in two years from now is going to be ripped out as part of your master plan. Sure. So uh, we, you know, we've got to marry all those pieces together. And Barry Dunn has not completed their prioritization list. So that's going to play a little bit of effect on the back end of that. Um, you know, so, uh, somebody made a comment earlier about uh, putting in turf versus uh, grass. Uh, AstroTurf is a easier surface for multi-use fields because you're required to have an accessible route to the player's bench. You don't have to have an accessible route on the field, but you have to have an accessible route to the player's bench. The what happens with AstroTurf is there's minimal to no doming or, or cresting in an AstroTurf surface. So you can get those slopes out there. Where I've seen natural turf in a multi-use field, there's a big crest in the middle of the field, a big grade change, and you can't get the accessible routes where you need to get. And they put those accessible routes in with beach mats. If you've got a fairly level surface, then you can attach a beach mat, which the wheelchair can then travel on. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up for me. Okay. Oh, great questions. Any other uh, comments, input, questions? I see your hand, Rashawn. I'm just going to make sure everyone has a chance to our first round of questions. Um, I do have um, some questions, if I can make sense of my notes that I took. I think first, um, and forgive me if this is in the packet and I missed it, um, I'm just curious um, if you could speak to how, how these parts were prioritized for phase one. And again, I apologize if that was addressed in the, in the packet and I didn't. No. Now, staff asked me the same question earlier this week. So we looked at smart systems based on the dollar value of barriers, location within the city, and what we knew of amenities offered within the parks. So we were we were we looked at it strictly from an outside um, algorithm, for lack of a better term, uh, with no 
no local input. This is if, if it was truly neutral, this is the plan that we would attack. So there were quickly found out on Tuesday, we had two or three parks that were either under construction or were just completing instruction that should really be moving up to the top of the list. So that, um, that was, um, I think O'Denning Park was down below in size and the use of it and it needs to be moved up. So we were trying to just geographically and dollar wise and some other things spread everything out. So that's, that's to get you guys to start talking and looking at it and thinking. Um, we've done it the other ways where we got input from everybody. And then it, until everybody sees a list, they're like, oh, yeah, maybe this needs to be moved. So that's, that's just to get a starting point. And then um, your answer to the great question that Tessa asked, which is the importance of public comment, right? Because really, we're wanting public input. Um, Another question that I have is um, also part of the, the answer to one of Tessa's questions when you had said, you know, you don't want to spend a lot of money and then it, it get ripped out. Um, I'm looking at phase one and there's a whole bunch of items for 132nd square park. And I'm curious if those uh, phase one items were measured pre 132nd facelift that it's currently, you know, it's currently under construction currently. Um, and yeah, I'm just curious, is this based on what it looked like prior to the construction or is this based on the plans for construction? Cause I see like, there's a lot of lists on like restrooms and I know that that's going to be completely redone. So um, just curious on that. Yes, uh, let's see, second doc. Um, give me just a second. Amanda, the, the quick answer is that the audit was done prior to construction. Okay. I was so looking ma majority of that is probably been already taken care of. Okay. So yeah, same with David Brink Park. Right. Would it be safe to assume then the cost that's listed on this phase isn't necessarily applicable because it's getting automatically fixed based on the funding of that parts remodel plan? I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yep. And yes is the, the answer. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, the other question I had was, um, I love that the city of Kirkland is investing um, the time and money into doing this assessment. Um, I'm curious, uh, moving forward as we build new parks um, and spaces, um, are we going to apply kind of a metric to ensure that all future growth and future development is going to be following those guidelines. So like once everything's corrected and then moving forward, we know that we're in compliance. Well, a, a quick answer is these ADA requirements are part of any design. So when we hire a landscape architect or an engineer or an architect, 
this is part of their licensure to make sure that these buildings are built in accordance with those ADA. Now, unfortunately, sometimes things get missed, just as Brian mentioned about at Totem Lake Park, just some, some, some misses in the construction part, even though it was on the plan properly, it wasn't built correctly. So it's always, it's gonna be, he calls it the living document. I call it the, the living game because we continually have to stay on top of this. So not only are we looking at it every year or every three years, but even those simple steps of maintenance, like if we decide to move a soap dispenser in a building, we need to know as a maintenance staff, as, be educated on what the proper height and reach distance is for that so that we aren't creating a barrier. Yeah, that makes sense. And also what Brian was showing earlier, kind of the progression of ADA through the years, we could be in compliance now and 10 years from now, um, guidelines increase and then we would need to adjust to those guidelines that, that change. So the, the difference between the 1991 and the 2010 standards, 90% uh, of the standards stayed the same. There was approximately 210 lines that adjusted, but the Department of Justice said if you met the 1999, 1991 ADAG, those items were safe harbored. So, you, so uh, case in point, the restroom got significantly bigger in 2010. Um, but if you had a restroom built to meet the 1991 standards, unless you do a major renovation to that restroom, you, you don't have to update it to the new standards. Um, certain things with park and outdoor recreation were not in the 1991 standards, they're in the 2010, so you're obligated to do it. Uh, the pool lifts at swimming pools are an obligation, even though they weren't in the 1991 standards. And if you build it between 91 and 2010, you still have to add a pool lift if you're a Title II entity. So that, you know, there, there's some, some rules that play around that. Uh, and to your point, uh, as soon as Washington State adopts the 2010 International Building Code, there's going to be a code requirement that are going to make the restrooms, again, 25% bigger than what they are now. Because the, the, the building code and the related ANSI code is accommodating for powered chairs where the, the 2010 standards do not accommodate for powered chairs. You have to have a bigger area to, to move a powered chair around. Um, and just a word of caution and education, you always wanna use the word powered chair. You don't wanna use the word electric chair. Uh, that is a very sensitive item in the, the accessible community. Um, last question, and this is just so I have clarity with our um, task ahead to support this. Um, and Mary, this might be a you question. Um, so when you want us to encourage local advocacy groups and partners to comment um, during the public comment period during March, um, yeah. what does that path look like for the public? How would they do that? So uh, as I mentioned, it, we technically are kicking it off tomorrow. So it'll be on our website. There's going to be a, a link 
or a survey monkey where you can go through and answer a series of questions. Uh, and that's all going to be uh, collected and evaluated and put into the final plan. Um, there are also uh, hard copies, one at each of the libraries um, for folks to review there. And um, yeah, so we did a press release as well as a public notice. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. all questions I have. Anyone else? I still remember you, Sean. Okay. I don't see anyone else. For Sean, did you still have a another question? That was for Mary or John. Do you know? Um, do we get a lot of ADA complaints, or are you aware of any? Um, is it something that is uh, a frequent matter or not frequent, whichever the case may be. I am not aware of any or specific complaints. Okay. That was it. Thanks. Okay. Last chance. Any other park board members have input? Okay. I think that's it. Thank you so much, Brian, um, for the presentation. Um, it, wonderful work. Um, Mary, did you have any final, Mary or Brian, any final comments? No, I do not. Thank you, Brian, for your support tonight. Thank you, Tom. And um, yeah, we're uh, opening the comment period and um, working towards developing a final plan. You're welcome. It's been a great city to work with, and I'd like to see the progressive uh, attitude, the pro-accessibility world attitude. So I thank you for that. Okay, we'll move on to our next uh, business item. And I think someone's probably working on stop screen sharing. Yeah, I'm trying to find it here. Disappeared on me. I don't like it. I'll stop it. Do it, John. Okay. Thank you. Got it. Apparently, as the host, I have all these powers. <laughs> um, our next business item, um, John will take the lead and um, talk about local land acknowledgement. I started the presentation too early. Uh, I am going to share my screen and I will kick off a real quick presentation. So. You can see yourselves for a second for my very cluttered desktop. Uh, okay, so tonight uh, I've got a real quick presentation on the local land acknowledgement uh, process, and to give I'll give a little background on the land acknowledgement that City Council adopted last December, and. Um, that I want to discuss with Park Board how to incorporate that into our meetings moving forward. So as I said, a little background, uh, staff presented this and not staff us, the city manager's office and a few folks in their uh, department presented to city council in November, a uh, Kirkland native history document, which was a very focused document on this area, um, uh, very specific to Kirkland. Um, it, I wasn't involved in this process. So I'm, I'm really kind of re this presentation is actually the same presentation that 
was given to council in December when they adopted the uh, land acknowledgement or it's a modified version of it. Uh, so I'm not claiming to be the expert on this process or what was done behind the scenes or what, without my uh, interaction, um, but this is what happened. So they, they did have a lot of consultation with local tribal leaders and native experts uh, as they were working on this uh, native history document. Um, and one section of that document was the local land acknowledgement. So for context, a local land acknowledgement, um, this is essentially the purpose of the definition uh, or kind of what it is. It's a formal statement that pays tribute to, expresses gratitude and respect for, and helps raise awareness of the indigenous peoples uh, of the local land past and present. Uh, this is not a, it doesn't have any legal authority, uh, but it is a, it is a ceremonial, um, it's ceremonial in nature. Uh, it is becoming more and more common and you will see that happening um, not only here in Kirkland, but uh, across the country and probably across the state. Um, so as I said, uh, in December, city council adopted resolution 5507 uh, that included, that, that formally adopted or uh, created the, the local land acknowledgement. Uh, there's a few next steps that are still kind of in the waiting. And so like, this happened in December, why are we now talking about it in March? Uh, been kind of dragging my feet uh, because we've had a lot of stuff going on with the pros plan with our, our joint meeting, but I've also been waiting for this uh, guide that the city, the staff is going to, or the city is going to create uh, to provide more direction on how to how to utilize this. But um, we felt it was better to just move forward and adjust if necessary than to continue waiting. Um, so this will be added to the website, uh, and I don't know if it is on the website yet or not, but there will be more information on the website at some point. Um, and like I said, the staff is creating a, a guide that will um, kind of put a little more framework, a little more expectations, a little more formality to what the city wants to do. Um, so how they want to do it, whether they want to uh, whether it be at all boards and commissions or just city council or or what it would look like uh, and how they want that to, to roll out. Um, and we are continuing to learn and uh, engage with the community to kind of, this isn't, I think the, the city looks at this as a living document or living statement as well um, that will be that we will, we can adapt and adjust over time. Uh, so, without further ado, this is the the city's local land acknowledgement, and I will read it. And I will apologize if I don't pronounce all the the names correctly. So, we acknowledge that the Southern Salish Sea region lies on the unceded and ancestral land of the Coast Salish people. The Duwamish, Muckleshoot, Puyallup, Skykomish, Snoqualmie, Snohomish, Suquamish, and Tulalip tribes, and all other tribes of the Puget Sound Salish people, and that present-day city of Kirkland is in the traditional heartland of the lake people and the river people. We honor with gratitude the land itself, the, fir the first people who have reserved treaty rights and continue to live here since time immemorial, and their ancestral heritage. Uh, so that is the city's local land acknowledgement. Um, what the kind of the, without the formal guide that the city hasn't created yet, um, the kind of expectation of what, what I've seen done is that uh, it be included in, uh, the, the land acknowledgement be included at boards and commissions and at our meetings. So what we're recommending is that we do include this at future board meetings. Um, this can be done in a number of ways. And again, without a formal, Direction from the city that they want it read or they want it just on the agenda. 
Um, we can make our decision for now. And I think if we need to, we can always adjust. So like I said, it can be something that we read aloud at the start of every meeting, or it could just be printed on the agenda um, to just be a statement that is there. Um, if you do read it aloud, there's a, several ways you can go about doing that. Um, you can have the chair start it off, or start off the meeting by reading it every, every single month. Um, or you can choose to rotate who reads it, um, or a staff member can read it every, every month. It's really, there's no, no formal rules or, or regulations on that one. Um, for reference, the Human Services Commission is having each board member rotate through reading the, the local editor. So I wanted to more or less leave that open to, to you all to see how you feel we should um, incorporate the land acknowledgement into our meetings. And so with that being said, since I can't see anybody, I'm going to unshare my screen so I can look at everybody that I can, or would it be easier if I pulled the actual acknowledgement back up? I would like to see people's faces if that's... Okay. Okay. I can always pull my acknowledgement back up. So yeah, uh, I'm trying to keep it short and sweet. Um, I'm still in PowerPoint. And now I'm sorry. There it goes. Technology for us, fun. Um, so yeah, what are y'all's thoughts? How I want to see if anybody has any questions, any questions on it or thoughts about how we should incorporate it in the future. I personally like the idea of um, rotating who says it at the beginning of each meeting. I think it keeps everyone involved and reminds everyone about how important it is, but I don't know. Cool. We don't, there's not, a, this is a less formal, I just need like head nods are fine. If everyone's okay with that, um, we can go forward with that. If anyone has a different idea, feel free to chime in. So, so what I'm hearing, and the head nods, Tessa, you can say something. Oh, I like it. I'm okay reading it, rotating. It's good for me. Yeah, it's a pretty short. That was, like, I think, the third time I read it out loud. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, to memorize those hard words, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, okay. it's a very wordy bit, that's all. Like, uh, Mike or uh, Rashawn, any strong feelings? Head nod indicates you're good with what's been proposed. So I, I, I'm definitely okay with reading it um, on a monthly basis at our, at our park board meetings. Um, and I make the assumption sometime in the future, we could change our minds and do something else. But initially, I think it's important enough to, um, to read monthly. We may change that a year from now and just add it to our agenda or something. Certainly. That's my yeah, thoughts. And like, and like I said, I, if the city comes out and says the standard is that's just on the agenda for a board of commission, the, <clears throat> the, my assumption is that we can go beyond that and reading it is more than than just putting it on the agenda. Uh, and so I don't think there'd be anything wrong with what we're doing. I don't think they'd go back with that. We said, oh, we just want to put it on the agenda and leave it there. And they came back and said, no, it has to be actually read. We, we would then go to the higher standard, so. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think if the council felt it was important enough to actually pass a referendum, um, we, should, so we, should, we, should, we should acknowledge that and, and support it. Okay, so where that will land on the agenda is item three. Call to order, roll call, land acknowledgement. So it'd be before items from the audience, uh, essentially the first thing we do after finding out who's here. 
Does anyone want to volunteer to read it at our next meeting? Can do the first one. Okay, I will have Amanda read it, and then maybe at the next meeting uh, we can. I don't want to say sign up, but for lack of better terms, sign up for the next six months or so just to get names down. Yeah. And we'll try and put them in later. Okay. And that way, if, you're gone, if you know you're going to be gone, we can reschedule it. So. Good deal. Thank you. That's all I've got for that. And Rashad, I just wanted to make sure did you have a, any, you were getting ready to speak and then. Well, I, I, I considered it. Here, here's what I'll tell you. I was listening to KOW and they were talking to um, a tribal member. They've been trying to get federal recognition. I think it's the Snoqualmie tribe. And the question came up about these land acknowledgements. And he posed the question is, who, who, is, who is supposed to feel better from this, right? And his view was that it was, you know, it was meaningless and totally performative for people who are non-native. Okay, and I know that the council feels strongly about this. They put a lot of work into it. Certainly, there's you know it's it's nice enough that I, you know there's nothing for me to object in the in the statement. But I thought listening to someone who's actually supposed to be honored give the feedback about this is for people who you know are non-native and it's it's to make themselves feel better about something, right? And that's my only comment. I have no objection to it. I would read it. But I thought, I'll leave it at that. I would comment, and I don't want to spend a lot of time. I hear what you're saying, Rashawn, and I have put a lot of thought and contemplation. I am actually a citizen of a, a tribe. I'm a citizen of Cherokee Nation. I grew up on my tribe's reservation in northeastern Oklahoma. Um, so I'm not native to this land. My people are not native to this land, but I do see there's value in that we're acknowledging that these people existed and um, and I think it is meaningful. So well, they exist today. I mean it's yeah. not it's not something in the past. The Cherokee exists today. Yours. Exactly. 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 And so. that's why I love that it identifies past and, and present. So I appreciate you bringing that up. And I just wanted to add that little bit of, sure. of context from- I didn't want to stir the pot on it too much because you know I don't want to come off as like this reactionary. But when yeah. I heard that from the person, I thought, you know, from their perspective, I can see exactly they've been, all these bad things have happened and they get the statement, right? That's it. I definitely can see where you're coming from, but I, and I, I tend to look at it as, it may be meaningless to someone, but it means something to someone else. Yeah. And is there Fair any enough. harm? There's no harm in doing There's it. There's no harm in if it. it. If it <laughs> it's, yeah, so I'm, I'm I get, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I'm also, I see, I also see both sides of the story, but um, I, I, I do appreciate the, the recognition and acknowledgement. I know it doesn't right the wrongs of the past, um, but I think if you don't bother acknowledging those things, you tend to. It's never a good thing. Sure. I'm more than happy to speak in volumes with you about this more, Roshan, off, offline. Uh, but I will move Lovely. us forward. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and move us forward to the okay. next uh, agenda item, uh, which is communications. Um, it looks like there were a few correspondence emails in our packet. Encourage everyone to 
uh, uh, review those. Um, also, next is department monthly report. Uh, I think, John, you had mentioned there's going to be, you had something yeah. you wanted to mention? Well, I just want to, like, obviously, we want to try and pick out any of the highlights or prompt any questions that, that you all have just to keep you all engaged at the tail end of the meeting. One big highlight I didn't want to mention since, as you, if you didn't notice already, Sarah uh, isn't here tonight. She's on vacation um, in very, very cold Wisconsin. Apparently, it's like negative five. It's the low. So I'm not jealous of her. Uh, but the big news is that we do have a printed recreation guide returning. Uh, it should be hitting mailboxes this week, I think, maybe next week. Uh, but our spring registration, spring summer registration begins next week. Um, most programs registration starts on Thursday um, with all the aquatics programs starting a week later. And we did that intentionally. This is the first time we split the registration dates apart a little bit. Um, that first day for spring summer is crazy hectic. And for all the, the staff with phone calls and troubleshooting folks that are, that are, that are trying to register. Um, and the two big things that folks are trying to register for are swim lessons and our summer camps. Uh, and so we're trying to split the, the demand up a little bit um, to try and spread the, uh, spread it out a little bit to try and make it a little easy, easier so it's not dumping it all on everyone at one point. Um, that may also help increase access, accessibility to those programs because it may Again, depending on people's financial situations, being able to pay for programs all at once um, isn't always the easiest thing. So that was one of our, our considerations there. Uh, and then uh, we did highlight a few other few other events that um, the recreation team has done in there with our, our drive-in movie. Uh, we actually had one last Saturday night, um, in addition to the one that's highlighted in the special or in the monthly report. Um, and they did a program up at NK called Galentine's Day. Um, it was a women's focused event. Um, one of the questions earlier, one of the comments earlier when we were talking about the pros plan, talked about cultural events. Um, and that, that has been coming from some feedback from council. And so we're, um, all the comments that, that were made, I think, uh, Rashawn, you made several of those comments, like Asian is a wide array of, of people. It's not one thing. Um, council is very interested in making sure that some of the events that are happening in, in Kirkland um, that, that we serve everybody. And so what we're trying to do is um, find ways to do that. We are not the experts on all those things and we don't wanna be the, the event organizer that says, oh yeah, we're gonna do this, this great thing. We're, we're trying, we're, part of the goal is making it known that we want to support those events and want to do those. And we are, we are working to find partners that we can um, partner with, with organizations that, that have an interest in hosting those events. Um, Typically with our special events, the permanent special events, when we talk about those, we don't, that's not a process that we go out and seek those events um, in our in our office at least. Um, we, we just process the permits on that side of things. There is the whole economic development side of the house. There's uh, um, the city uh, that does have some influence and does try to recruit, recruit some things to the, the city. Um, internally within our office, special events is that permanent special event side. We on the on the recreation side are trying to uh, expand out some of those program uh, programs and what we call community building events, um, and make sure that we do put a cultural lens on some of the thoughts um, and ideas that have been tossed around. Again, we're still working to try and find ways to incorporate some things. Might be, and we're also really trying to focus on like the shoulder seasons a little bit because 
our, we have so many programs and events going on in the summer. Um, so things like Dia de los Muertos around the, um, Halloween or uh, perhaps a Lunar New Year event of some variety uh, at the beginning of the year. Um, so a couple, just a few of those different ideas that are out there, uh, but we are definitely willing and open to kind of any ideas that are um, that there is interest. So I just want to address that one. It popped back in my head. So, yeah. but yeah, lots going on this month. So if there's any questions, we'd be happy to answer. Oh, we did have our, our new recreation supervisor start. Uh, his name is but any questions on the monthly report? Nope. Okay. Staff updates and information. I have a few. I thought I had three and I've only written down two. So if I forget it, I'll remember something eventually. Um, we will with so again, I want to say thank you to Uzma for her service to the board over the last several several years. Um, I do expect that we will have a new park board member sometime in April. Um, I believe council is conducting interviews, maybe a mandate report at the end of this month. So I think they will be appointed in time. Uh, council has to then approve the recommendations. So that'll happen in the April meeting, uh, which I believe is like April 7th. Yeah, which probably won't allow us to be in time for the first, they might be at the first meeting in April. They might not, I'm not positive. But they will be on, on board at some point um, in April, hopefully. And then, as you know, the city and the county, or if you don't know, the city and the county and the state are dropping our mask mandate on Friday, um, which is probably gonna be more in-person things are gonna be allowable again. Um, city council has chosen to continue doing uh, virtual meetings through April. Um, just to kind of make sure that it's not, you don't want to just rip the bandit off and then have the, the floodgates open again and we get another wave. Um, but that means we can start meeting again in person at some point. So my recommendation, and like we've said before, the, the digital platform has, a, has, I think, allowed a lot of flexibility for folks. Like I know Mike was in Palm Springs and Usman took a few, uh, few meetings over in Hawaii. Um, so we can certainly continue to meet virtually, uh, but I do think there is some value to meeting in person. Um, but we would be able to do that starting in May if the board has interest in doing so. Uh, so we don't need to make a decision today, but I, I definitely want to get your wheel spinning on that and get your thoughts. Perhaps at that April meeting, we just decide if the if and when the board wants to resume meeting in person or come up with a plan. Maybe it's every other meeting. Maybe it's quarterly. Uh, I'm going to be open to whatever works for you all. So. I think those are my those are two of my updates. I feel like I had a third, but I can't remember. But I may have already moved it up and said it earlier. So. And then Mary wasn't feeling well, that's why she walked out for a few seconds. That's all I got. I think Jason said, I'm, don't look like Jason's wanting to you, Jason. say anything. Oh, I'm always full of op <laughs> options. <laughs> it's uh, it's that time of year. It's awesome. Um, if you looked at the monthly report, you'll see little extra hours at places like Peter Kirk and Juanita Beach and Everest and Crestwoods because we're getting the fields ready. First high school games of this weekend, doubleheaders. So high school coach called today saying how the field's looking. It's like, yeah, looking good. We're getting some decent weather. So hopefully you play before Saturday. <laughs> but 
now it's that time of the year where things are starting to grow a little bit and the grass is turning green and we're out there doing lots of things to make things look beautiful and clean. So it's a fun time of the year for sure. Thank you. Okay, next up, park board member reports. Who would like to share? Just a reminder, this was also if you have questions or feedback on the joint meeting with council, please let us know. I have a few questions, just kind of what you were talking about, John. Um, we're, how many board members, what's the maximum park board members that you're, that's allowed? Eight. Like, are we just adding one to replace Uzma? Yes, I believe they, um, Tammy's term also technically expires, but she reapplied. Um, and so they reappointed all the incumbents that wanted, that reapplied for their, their seats. Um, and so we just have the one new person that's going to come up. So I think they're going to do three people. Um, and then my other question is, can we get a meeting request for the April 27th meeting? Yes. Special meeting, please. Yes. Good reminder. Thank you. That's all I have. Thank you, Tessa. Anyone else? Rashawn? I was waiting to see if someone else would go because I seem to raise my hand a lot. I'm proud of you. Well, I, I don't want to overstay my, my welcome. Um, you know, the council meeting, okay. Um, I guess it was okay. I, I didn't come away from it feeling particularly um, enthusiastic about um, the issues that we're going to be facing, okay? And the number one issue is more people and same amount of park and a lot more people. And um, I would really like to get to the point where we're, we're making some progress on, and, you know, I know the, the infill ideas, you know, the, the little, um, the linear park or, you know, some other kind of smaller sort of community gathering, those, those are important. They're not a substitute for what we have in Kirkland, okay? And we need to have something. We need it to, we need whoever's working on the analysis for the 85th street plan. And I, another group I'm involved in met with um, the city manager and the mayor, and, you know, they've heard it from us over and over and they promise us that it's going to be, you know, that it's being worked on and, you know, so it's not just the park, it's traffic and education, there's a bunch of stuff. But, and I have good faith that, you know, that they, that, that um, our leaders, I, I, I tell you, I think, that, um, you know, we have an exceptionally talented um, uh, city manager. And, you know, I've known the mayor for, for decades and a couple of the other council members. And I think that we're lucky to have this, this set of talent. Um, but so, as someone who's not involved in it all the time, all we see is the kind of the public facing part of it. And I keep seeing it go forward kind of full speed ahead all the time. And none of the key issues that are essential to the quality of life in Kirkland are being addressed. A major one is the parks. It's one of the top attractions. As a matter of fact, our traffic is bad. It's going to get worse. One of the few redeeming things besides the school district, which is already 
you know, on the downward side because of overcrowding and whatever is the parks. And, you know, it's, I'd like to find a way. I know we're just advisory, but um, to bring this to bear in a way that it can't be put off, okay? And that's the part that I'm getting to be a little bit um, concerned about, that there's plots that are, you know, if you take the aerial view and you look and you see the elevations and where the overlays are and all that, and how it might change around, there's possibilities. And, you know, I'm not saying we have to have a headlong rush into, you know, being hasty, but I would like to stake out, I would like this board to stake out a position that until we have firm plans at the city council level, that, that the beautiful resolution that they passed that has all these, you know, ideas that are really good, okay? But they're just magical thinking until we get to the things that keep the livability in Kirkland what we want it to be. And I would encourage my fellow board members to think about this very seriously because it's on our watch that this is going to happen. And let's let's take it seriously and be assertive about it, not you know um, in a way that isn't collaborative. But we have to we have to make a stand on this. I think, and I'm gonna and I'm pitching that to you all because we've got a wonderful park system, we got great staff, and I think we got a great city council. Let's not let it be run over um, because. People have 10 different ideas about, we're gonna solve all these different problems with this development. We are not. And we're especially not gonna do it if we don't address these key issues. That's my comment. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you, John. I really appreciate your, your passion for this issue. And, um, I, it John, that was the mild version. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one thing I'll say, and it wasn't number three on my list from earlier, but the other big piece that will be coming up um, that will hopefully, go the right direction and will allow us to affect some of the changes we want to see. Um, council did adopt or add the ballot measure to their work plan, or to the city's work plan. Um, so we are now officially, we don't know, like we're getting some ducks in a row in the back end, but we are officially now working towards a, a ballot measure for to support parts of that region sometime probably 2023. Um, that's like we've spent a lot of the last year talking about the pros plan. We're probably going to spend a lot of the next year talking about the ballot measure. Um, this is going to be a, a tremendous opportunity. It's going to be a legacy um, opportunity for the city if we, because council's direction was go big. And like Lynn, Lynn mentioned last month, that could be $200 million um, of bonds for facilities, park acquisition, park improvements, renovations. Um, in reading the draft of the pros plan, part of the way they were analyzed, analyzing level of service was based on amenities in the parks, not just where the parks are. So you got a park there, or you got a plot of land you're calling a park. If the only thing there is a bench or ground, it's not really serving a lot of people as well as, say, a park like Wanding Beach or Peter Kirk that has restrooms and courts and fields and like several other amenities. This ballot measure has the potential to really kind of kickstart some of those opportunities um, and really will be transformational for the city. So hopefully spin the spin it the right way and make it make it make it happen. So now I'm off my soapbox. 
Mike? So I wanted to um, talk about our joint meeting with, with council <clears throat> recently. And I really enjoyed the meeting. It seemed like um, this is my only my second time having that, that joint joint session with council and the park board. Um, and I enjoyed it. That was a, a very robust conversation. Um, but I felt walking away from that meeting a little bit confused about the role of me as a member on the park board. Um, for the last two years, I've been on the park board. Uh, my role has been to be advisory from a, from a citizen's perspective back to the parks department on ideas or, but at, the, at, the, at this joint meeting with council, we were asked to actually come up with solutions, ideas, brainstorm some creative solutions, and uh, which is a little bit out of the scope of what we normally get involved with. So I, I left that meeting with some uncertainty as far as what was asked by council of the park board. Did it is 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 that okay? Are we are we changing our roles and responsibilities here a little bit? And nor did I want to step on the toes of a leadership on the parks department also. So that was my, my takeaway from that meeting. Uh, I enjoyed it, very, very great uh, open dialogue, but I wasn't quite sure where they was gonna go moving forward. And that's kind of what uh, where Sean was talking about also, I guess, was you know, taking it and, and moving forward with it. Um, so that's, that's, those are my comments. And maybe sometime in the future, we can get, get better clarity for me on what our role is supposed to be. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, I have a couple of things. One, I did want to um, confirm March 31st is when we are having interviews for the vacant park board position. Um, yep, so that is happening. Um, second, I wanted to just highlight, um, um, in addition to, I, I've presented John with some questions um, and maybe this is something that we could, I would like to request that we find an opportunity to explore more as a park board. I'm looking at um, the mission statement for the, the city of Kirkland Parks and Community Services and um, our role as park board members um, and there's one particular bullet point, the fifth one says, assist with the acquisition and development of facilities and programs, which will be required as a result of growth in the community and recommend ways and means for accommodating such demands. And I can see where I think that is kind of summarizing Mike's comments and I think Rashawn's comments of, um, and I'm noticing maybe this is a, a kind of a, uh, I, I don't want to call it a hiccup, but just a pinpoint of uh, maybe being able to address it as a part board, great, gain greater clarity of, of what that means in action for us in conjunction with um, the feedback from city council. Um, I know I had a great opportunity to hear from John and Mary um, when we had our brief leadership call before 
this meeting, but I think that there would be value in collectively as a board having that. And so maybe that's something, John, in a future, whether that's at a future retreat or I don't know if a park board meeting is an appropriate setting and it might be. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to highlight that, that, that it is in our um, kind of our job description. And I think that's where I'm hearing feedback from park board members that we would like a little bit of clarity on what that means and, and what that looks like in action. Uh, and actually, I think the timing is very, very good for us with the new board member. I think it'll be a good opportunity to reset that or set it um, and revisit that. So um, that may be an April agenda. Thank you. Um, and that is my report, giving one more opportunity before moving on. Um, okay. Last agenda items, comments from the chair. I'll just say ditto to what I just mentioned in my report out. Um, and with that, um, I'll call this meeting to, um, wait, we have to adjourn. I open a move to accept, I, I welcome a motion to adjourn the meeting. It's, this is the longest meeting we've had in a while. Yes. You can tell. Move to adjourn. I second. It's official. Thank you all. Have a great You got to vote on it. Nine? Say, I'll say aye. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Aye. 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 You don't have to have a motion to adjourn. You can just call it. You can just adjourn the meeting. But can I? Well, that's, I believe. that's, another, yeah. that's another time. Yeah. Let's do that. Who's object? <laughs> like, who's going to say no? Exactly. I demand we stay and talk more. Yeah. Okay. It's I was going to thank Allison for seconding because last time it took too long, I self-seconded. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I've never questioned that because it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. I know. I just like to. Um, I know. So. All right. Well, well I appreciate you guys', you guys uh, feedback and attention. It was all, all definitely very good, good info. So have a great evening.